for a long time, I was thinking, okay, I've got meditation over here and drumming over here. These are the, my two, the two parts of me, right? And now later in life, I'm realizing actually it's kind of all one thing. The way that the lessons I learn on the meditation mat are very similar to lessons that I can learn when I'm dealing with a promoter or especially when I'm sitting on stage and trying to find that that center beneath thought where the music is playing me. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Hey everyone, it's great to be back after a little break to recharge and work on some great new content. It's been a refreshing experience that has allowed us to return with renewed energy and passion. I'm so excited to share it all with you. Thanks for sticking around and for your continued support. Let's jump back into it together. I'm thrilled to share my conversation with an extraordinary guest, Clementine Moss, the band leader and founder of the all-female tribute band Zepparella. In addition to her impressive career as a musician, Clementine has recently released her memoir, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer. In this powerful and insightful book, Clementine offers a raw and honest look at her journey as a drummer, a woman, and a spiritual seeker. From her early days playing in punk bands to her years of touring with Zepparella, she shares the highs and lows of life on the road the challenges of being a female artist in a male-dominated industry, and the inner struggles that led her to seek out a deeper understanding of herself and the world around her. Throughout her memoir, Clementine also delves into her spiritual journey, sharing her experiences with meditation, mindfulness, and other practices that have helped her find her greater peace, clarity, and purpose. In this episode, I have an enlightening and insightful conversation with Clementine to discuss her book, her journey as a musician, and a spiritual seeker, and the lessons she has learned. We'll explore the themes of her memoir, the challenges of balancing life on the road with a spiritual practice, and the power of music to heal and transform. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Clementine Moss. Hey, Clementine Moss, I'm so glad to have you. I'm super excited to speak to you about your band, Zapparella, and also your book, which I love the title, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, Contemplative Practice. Why don't you tell us, I read that you didn't get into drumming until you were 27, is that right? That's right. That is part of the story of the book um, mm -hmm. about how that all shook down. I went to school for writing and was living in New York City and writing wasn't really happening. I had this big revelation that I'd never really lived and I didn't have anything to say as a writer. I had music, musicians around me and um, 
And it was just a kind of series of circumstances that brought me to uh, take a drum lesson and kind of immediately drums were what I wanted to do. We say that our instrument chooses us and uh, drums definitely chose me. And, um, you know, what's funny is I just found out that I have a great uncle who was a drummer and had a big band in the, you know, the thirties all the way up through the sixties. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just thought it was this fluky thing that I (laughs) be a musician in, in my family. And that seems, and now my little nephew is playing drums too. So I guess we do have some sort of, um, gene of drumming. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, so I started playing drums at 27 It just kind of music took me over and, um, I've toured all through the States into Europe uh, with an original project. And then for the last 18 years, I've had a Led Zeppelin band called Zepparella. And we play all over the country and Canada. That's the the title of the book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back. Uh, John Bonham is super important to me because... uh, you know, he was always my favorite drummer. I always just loved Led Zeppelin so much. <laughs> Mine and, too. Right? I think he's the greatest drummer of all time, personally. I, I, you know, I think so too. And it's such a, a, it's a tricky thing to say because people judge, you know, everybody judges drumming on different things. You know, Neil Peart is just this maestro, Amazing. right? Oh, yeah. Right. Um, Terry Bozio, a maestro, Right. Absolutely. But some of the thing that I talk about in in the book about why I tend to kind of gravitate toward Bonham is because of the emotion that I feel in his drumming. And that is a very um, difficult thing to put your finger on, especially when you're learning his parts and you want to really, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I played, started playing at 27, right? So I didn't get to be in you know, marching band and all of the ways that drummers get trained uh, when they're 10 years old, you're learning things you don't even realize you're learning. Um, But uh, so I'll never be John Bonham, right? Uh, But what I do, what I am able to do is remember what it felt like when I was 14 years old to listen to that music and all of the connections I had to it. And so when I'm playing drums, that's what I'm trying to convey is that feeling that I had um, of the music. I'm trying to do what Bonham did. I'm either successful or failing, depending on the song. But I'm also really trying to to just um, convey that emotion that I feel in his in his drum parts. So that's my approach to playing Bonham. Same feeling. When I first started listening to Led Zeppelin, I had such a visceral reaction his drumming his style is so passionate and uh it's one of a kind so tell me and tell the audience about the book the premise and and how it it assimilates to your practice as a shamanic counselor it's called um, from bonham to buddha and back the slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer and the Um, The book started as a series of blog posts just talking about my music career. And, you know, I was 27 when I started playing drums. And right around that time, I went to my first 10-day silent meditation retreat. And and 
so music and uh, contemplative practice meditation went alongside each other in my life as I kind of opened to studying different spiritual different spiritual practices and started to really open to my meditative practice. It was at the same time that I was touring in a band with two other women playing 320 shows a year and loading gear and, you know, all bottom? Of this stuff. that was bottom uh-huh, from yeah. New York City. For a long time, I was thinking, okay, I've got meditation over here and drumming over here. These are the, my two, the two parts of me, right? And now later in life, I'm realizing actually it's kind of all one thing. The way that the lessons I learn on the meditation mat are very similar to lessons that I can learn when I'm dealing with a promoter or especially when I'm sitting on stage and trying to find that that center beneath thought where the music is playing me. Mm -hmm. And um so I started writing about what, where I go when I'm playing drums. What's happening internally uh, when I'm um, when I'm really trying to connect to that emotional aspect, that to convey the songs, and also just that deep connection that a musician feels to the audience. The music music is you know a universal language, and we're 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 responding back and forth as we're playing the audience and you know the musicians and you know my i'm also connected to the other people on stage so it's all very connected to the some of the lessons i've learned about when i'm sitting in meditation i'm trying to find that place where i can observe all of my frustrations my attachments my aversions as they rise and fall and yet not learn how to not react to them, right? Which is very helpful when I'm sitting on stage and all of this stuff is going on around me. And yet I want to be right in the center and not react to those, those things around me. So that's a lot of what, um, you know, what the book addresses. It talks a lot about my experience of particular bottom songs and also tell, just tells the story of, strange for some lady when she's 27 to be like that's it i'm gonna play drums and like <laughs> and, and just start going for it so that story uh might be interesting to people as well so that's that's the book in a nutshell um yeah how, how long did it take you to play like bonham because i've watched videos of some of your performances and you crush it <laughs> oh thank you oh thank you Thank you. I don't know. It's a lifetime of learning. Well, you started when you were 27, but when, how long did it take you to feel comf comfortable enough to, to, uh, to do those solos? Yeah. So I was, well, the solo, oh my gosh, I think we were, we played, uh, I think Zapparello was around for almost 10 years before I did the solo before I did Moby Dick. Okay. Uh, everybody, right. everybody was saying, yeah, yeah. no, everybody was Gretchen, my guitarist, Gretchen men. Uh, she was, you have to do the solo. You have to do the solo. You've made me do all the solos. You have to do the solo. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was like, no, no, I hate drum solos. I don't want to do a drum solo. He did it. It's perfect. I have to just, as soon as the first note goes, I just have to let go of all the judgment 
you know, of that negative voice telling me that, you know, get off the stage. What are you doing here? And I just have to find a place within myself to do it. And one of the things that I, that helped me was to view my solo and my playing as a gift um, that I'm doing my very best, that I'm trying to give it everything that I have um, and offer it to people. And when I see things, when I see it that way, at least as I'm doing it, it, it lets go a little bit of my own judgment. And I just, I try to connect with that, the spirit of music, the spirit of, of love and, and giving in order to to make it happen. That's, that's my, my way around that, all of those voices that tell me I'm, I'm no good. Yeah. Right. Do you see yourself going into trance like? Yeah, it's, um, my drum teacher, Fred Klatz in New York, he said a really great thing when I was trying, I was trying to do a different rhythm with each limb. And then I was counting, right, which is another rhythm, right? So I had these five things going on. And he said, you know where your mind has to be? It has to be, you know, when you're looking all over the house for your glove and you, after five minutes, you look down and it's been in your hand the whole time. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's where you kind of have to put your mind. And I like that metaphor because that kind of is that place where we go right in the center where thoughts are kind of up here, but we're not attaching to thoughts. We're in kind of a, an awareness rather than thinking. And I think, um, I guess you could say that that is trance-like, um, but it's also hyper-aware. Yeah. So, um, so it's not, you're not drifting off. Um, when I drift off, you can hear it in my drumming, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's, um, that's what I like about, um, Buddhist, the Buddhist approach of, um, of meditation, which is that we're not trying to get rid of our mind because our mind is very important in being able to focus and being able to kind of zone in and being able to pinpoint where we want to go but where we're going is this open awareness. And so it's almost, a, yeah, it's a, it's difficult to, um, difficult to really get a handle on until you're doing it. Like the mind has to be very aware while we're falling into this awareness that is aware of almost everything. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me, how did you get into contemplative practice and your work as a shamanic counselor? I've been meditating now for, what, 30 years. And uh, the, for 30 years, I was a Vipassana meditator, which um, there's a really beautiful uh, organization that offers 10-day silent retreats around the world, and it's donation only. And that was the retreat that I went to right before I turned 27, where you take a vow of silence for 10 days and you're just taking care of um, all the food, all the place to be. And that kind of set me up. I had read some some things about meditation before that, and I had kind of dabbled in some Zen, but uh, that really set my path to understanding that practice. And then over time, I had some other teachers who, you know, introduced me to some uh, 
kind of practices based in Hinduism um, and some of the Advaita uh, Vedanta techniques. And that was really helpful and kept, I kept opening to that. And then found this place. I took a two year contemplative psychotherapy um, course. I got certified in contemplative psychotherapy, which is really interesting because Buddhism is almost looked at in that case as a science. And mm -hmm. so psychotherapy is really Buddhist psychotherapy is very helpful and has been around for a long time because we're we're going inside to understand what I was talking about, our attachments and our aversions, our anxiety. We can watch our anxiety rise up and really be able to be with it. And that can help to alleviate it, help to understand the basis of it. Then from there, I heard about this teacher, Issa Gucciardi. She's in Berkeley, California, and her school is called the Sacred Stream, Foundation of the Sacred Stream. And she developed a, a counseling model that I'm now a practitioner in, which is called depth hypnosis. And it combines Western psychological method, which is especially transpersonal psychology, which is uh, the idea that, you know, we take all of the Western psychological method, but we add in the idea that spirit is really important in our healing. Uh, and then so Western psychology, Buddhism, especially Tibetan Buddhism, because Tibetan Buddhism, it took on the shamanic tradition of Tibet, the Bun tradition. And so Tibetan Buddhism works a lot with energy healing, with light and sound healing, and then uh, and shamanism. So what that means is that we're using some of those traditional shamanic techniques like soul retrievals, power retrievals, you know, these, these kind of out there woo-woo things, right? <laughs> but which I see as um, a great metaphoric system, right? It's basically putting, putting a, a face to some of the internal, our internal metaphor. I think that Everybody has their own internal world, right? And I think um, shamanism is really good at um, at making these um, these parts of ourself come to life. And Buddhism has a lot of very um, great structures around the ethical um, systems, the um, the mental systems around. Um, around spiritual practice. So it's very grounding. So I think these days, a lot of, um, you know, shamanic practice can be very ungrounded, very kind of out there. And this system kind of takes those things and puts a good form to them. So we were talking before about, I know plant medicine is a part of what you ask about, uh, what you talk a lot about in this podcast. And so if somebody were looking to, to uh, take plant medicine, then we have really lovely ways of going into the preparation for the ceremony and most importantly, the integration and it's in a very nice structure to help people really understand their experience 
Um, so anyway, the way that I came to that was I'm in San Francisco. People had told me about this teacher. I went to a class and suddenly I realized this is where I realized, oh, my spiritual practice and my drumming and my love of drumming and my love of music it's kind of combined, starting to combine here. I'm using the drum, right, in meditation, the hand drum, yep. right? Um, I'm using that uh, to um, to help people kind of find that that center, that that place beneath thought. The sound of a repetitive drum is known to um, to access some of those meditative states, and then um, we can really go kind of deeply into some of the um, the modality to to heal. Going back to plant medicine, you said you help with prep work mm-hmm. for people. Uh, what types of things will you offer and provide for people? In these, um, in these modalities, I think that one of the issues that's happened in the big sur- resurgence of uh, these things is that people are not necessarily connected to the earth anymore. And shamanism is really just earth-based wisdom. The shaman is someone who looks at the natural world and translates those messages that they see in the natural world and translates it to the community, right? So that's what a shaman is. Those old cultures, they were very connected to the earth. You know, the whole, everybody was connected to the seasons, to the plants, to, you know, they had this deep connection. We're not connected in that way. And in the Western mentality, the natural world is something to take from and something to use and something to control. And we kind of see where that's gotten us, right? We're very disconnected from our root, from our heart. So when we go into a plant medicine ceremony, of wanting, just wanting to try something in this sort of, um, in this way where they're like, let me try this and then let me try this and let me try this, this very consumerist attitude. They're not really getting the, um, I think the, the deep messages that they're, they're not understanding the deep messages and the metaphors they're being shown. And that can cause a lot of problems for people. And, a lot of chaos, even more chaos. Some people come out of plant medicine and more disorganized than they were going in. So when we go into preparation, what we do is we connect to the spirit of the plant in a, um, in a, a lot of different meditations. We connect with this internal metaphoric system we have within us so that when we go into the ceremony, we're re- already connected to those messages. We're already getting insights. And so then when you're in the plant medicine ceremony, you have this support that's within you. It's like you're empowered going in. And and then coming out, uh, we can reconnect to that the spirit of that plant that we connected to at the beginning and and journey to that um, journey to that spirit. Ask what it is that we were being shown that we didn't understand. So that's kind of the, the truth. And then in, after the ceremony, what do you provide and what do you think is the most integral parts of integration that you teach people? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it really depends on the person. It's understanding we're shown something and some things that we're shown, maybe we don't quite understand why we were shown that, right? Why did I have to see, you know, this very terrifying thing? What, why, why was it so difficult? You know, I thought I was going to let go uh -huh. of all of my problems and, and instead like all of this stuff rose and, um, and, you know, it almost felt like I was being punished or it was difficult. Or even if somebody has a really beautiful, expansive thing, but man, I kept seeing this one image and I just didn't quite understand why that was the image. Well, then we go into that altered state work um, of depth hypnosis, of applied shamanism, and we, we connect with the spirit of those, of the, the natural world that metaphoric system within us and and to understand what we were shown it's very gradual it was mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. and uh if you're like myself i'm not the most patient person or i feel like a lot of people uh the western world you say we're not connected to the earth but we also want instant gratification mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I feel as though, and I was even guilty of this to a degree where we expect the message to be just crystal clear. And like mm -hmm. you say, it's not, it's not like that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, I have, when people are thinking about participating in ayahuasca or psilocybin or any plant medicine, San Pedro, I try to tell them just go in with an open mind as much as possible. Although when I first did it, my mind was racing. Yeah. Because for in particular in ayahuasca, if you have a, just a rush and there's so much information transmitted to you where you, like you said, you can't, you don't know how to process it. Just write down as much as you can. So you can go back to that because integration is the most, it's the most important piece, the ceremony, of course, but you have to be able, because people are guilty, including myself, where they just go back to their life in cubicle or whatever's stressing them out. And then they don't, or they aren't able to apply it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, if you were to go in, if you were do, to do some preparation where you connected to that part of yourself that has your best interest at heart, right? And that part of yourself that is deeply connected to the plant, right? And we can do that in a shamanic journey, which is where, you know, a, a drum is being played and you allow yourself to fall into that altered state. A, a drum will uh, will offer you an altered state beneath the conscious critical mind. It's pretty amazing how much information um, you can find there. And when you do that before the ceremony and you connect to that part of yourself, then and then you have the experience in the ceremony, then when you come out of it, you can reconnect to that part of yourself that you connected with before you went. And you can, and then you can even walk back through the journey, uh, your plant medicine journey, 
And a lot of the times more stuff than you even remembered or even wrote down comes back and like, oh, you know, oh, light bulbs go on. Right. Yeah. Which type of ceremonies did you participate in? I had a a lot of psychedelic history, you know, as a young person, um, a lot of LSD when I started off. And I thought, you know, and then I hit later in my life and I was like, okay, that's done. I'm not doing any of that anymore. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, But then, and then I, uh, ayahuasca came into my awareness. And so I, I did two sessions of ayahuasca, two ceremonies. Uh, the first one was very, um, very blissful. And I really did feel myself coming into my own power. Um, and now this was much before I was studying this. So this was when I just was, you know, oh, I know, I'll just, I'll go and, you know, do ayahuasca. That sounds like a good idea. The first one was really great. And the second one was eight hours of, uh, of pretty much hell. Um, and so disorganizing that it, um, it set me off kilter in certain ways in my life for about a year, um, until I could finally come to come to peace with it. When I found the sacred stream and I started working in this way, that was really when I began to, to get inside of it and try to understand it. Um, but it was completely terrifying. And like I said, it was very disruptive in my life and my relationships. And and it was very difficult. And um, I'm sorry, my dog is snoring. That's, it's not my stomach. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, my my dog is barking. (laughs) Oh, good. Now, and now I think, man, it might have even been that the plant ended up bringing me to this school. So that I could help people who maybe had a disorganizing experience in that way. So, and now I'm doing that, which I never really expected that I would ever do that kind of work, but now that's what I do. So, Obviously your shamanic work has given you some balance in your life that you're able to, I have to assume juggle as a touring musician and not get caught up in the the fast-paced life how did you is that that's had to have helped you circumvent all the temptations on the road correct? i don't know that i circumvent the temptations <laughs> on their own <laughs> well, <laughs> at least that, the latter half. yeah i mean i i've never uh i've never had like you know major disruption you know in my life because of you know having fun on the road, but I, I'm not one to, I, I'm not somebody who is very, um, I'm not a moderate person. Right. So, um, <laughs> I, I'll say that I'm a rock and roll drummer. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. but I, I, but I am very devoted to my spiritual practice, to my, my contemplative practice. And I think that does, for one thing, it gives me infinite stamina. I'm the one who drives the van. I'm the one who's managing the band. I'm the one who's playing for two hours and then driving us two hours after the show to get to, it's like, I do all of that stuff. And I do talk a lot about that in the book. What's it like to get three hours of sleep, start driving at 6 a.m., get to the show, play two, two hour sets, and then get to the hotel afterwards. How do I do that? I attribute it to the ability to keep my nervous system calm, even in the face of all that chaos. That's what meditation really does for us. Yeah. 
I I don't I can't meditate. <laughs> really? It, it's yeah, it's hard for me to keep uh my mind is always racing. That's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so typically I'm able to just run with it. Yeah. But also sometimes it gives me a form of uh anxiety and and like you say you have to sometimes you just have to embrace it. You might see for somebody who feels that their mind is too racy for meditation, um, you might try like a shamanic uh, journey because the having the drum, right? Having just the and just having that, you know, and being guided as that's happening. Um, that is a way of accessing that part of ourselves that we're looking to access when we're in meditation, that, you know, the, the quieting of the nervous system, the ability to be in the center of ourselves where things are rising. Maybe the mind starts racing, but we're always just kind of still in that center. So, um, yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned that drums, uh, you write when I've been in a ceremony and drums have been part of it, it has helped me, my mind from stop bracing so much. And then also Icaros. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Sound. That, yeah. the, the tempo and the, the, you know, I love, that just took me to a whole nother world and then gave me the uh, ability to basically go all in. Yeah. Yeah. Sound. Sound is so powerful that way. I hear, and this is what I've been told, that the drum, the hand drum is the same frequency as the center of the earth. And, you know, the shamanic culture has been playing drums for 100,000 years. Somehow we knew that, right? Somehow we knew that the drum was the way. And drum is the first language. It's powerful. And imagine my having devoted my life to drumming, and then right. to walk into this this school and realize like the drum is the connection the connection for me in my life between these different aspects of my life um it's magic it's 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 magical yeah well i want you i want to give you the floor to share any message you'd like to my audience uh, about the book or about your practice as a shamanic counselor? How can you, how can one find you uh, to yeah. seek yeah, yeah, your work as a counselor? Thank you. Uh, so, um, so clemthegreat.com uh, is where, it's kind of where everything is. So that's, you can get the link to the Amazon, uh, to Amazon where you can buy the book. Um, you can also buy, and then uh, Clem the Great, you can buy uh, signed copies if you'd like um, for all the collectors out there. And then um, on Clem the Great is uh, Zepparella, uh, links to Zepparella, links to my other original music, um, links to my uh, website where you can, um, you know, check out the, sh- the counseling models that I I work with and contact me that way. Um, and if I were to, to give a message to everybody, it's that, you know, we, we do have this 
vein of joy within us. And I really do believe that everybody can find that. And I know that it seems with the things that go on in a life, um, you know, we suffer so much uh, and everybody does. And yet within us, there is some, some resource there for us to be able to move through the world in a, um, in a peaceful and, and happy way. We can be happy. Yeah. Believe it. Believe it and, and, and just keep going. Just keep swimming. <laughs> That's right. Life is fluid and, and uh, you need to just keep swimming, as you say. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, well, listen, Clementine, I can't thank you enough for joining me on Neurons to Nirvana. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. What a pleasure. And it's been lovely speaking to you. You as well. You as well. And all, all best wishes for your, your journey. Thank you.